the disciples had watched Jesus pray. They had watched him, they had listened to him, they had sat in groups with him, and that prompted a question in Luke chapter 11 where they asked him, teach us to pray. It's kind of an amazing concept for me. The Son of God, it's an amazing concept, period, that the Son of God left heaven, came here, lived among us, and and experienced everything as we experience it, but yet didn't sin, and in the purpose of visiting, interacted with us, healed us, talked to us, taught us, and guided us, and mentored us, and of course went to the cross, and in that process of execution, losing his life, gave his life, shed his blood, so that by that atonement of the word the scripture uses to describe it, by that, that, that gift and that sacrifice, his death made it possible for us to enter in. His death made it possible for us to have communication like prayer where we have conversation. But it's an, it's an amazing thought to contemplate for just a moment what it would have been like in the first century AD, and you're one of the disciples, or maybe you're a family member of one of the disciples, or maybe you heard about the teaching of Jesus, and you wanted to see, you wanted to experience, you wanted to understand. And you're there in one of those moments as Jesus is praying, and you're watching the Son of God speak and talk with the Father with his heavenly father. That would prompt probably any one of us to simply ask that question, would you teach us to pray? And of course, Jesus goes on to lay out what we call the Lord's Prayer, and in that process gives us an example by which to follow and address the very needs that we have, the needs for provision, the needs for forgiveness, the needs for relationships, the needs to see his work, his kingdom expanded beyond our own perspectives, but what God wants to accomplish, doing his will, not just our will, and then recognizing that he is the one who receives all the glory, his is the power, his is the kingdom, his is the glory forever. And to have those words taught. But then I love the way Jesus and I love the way God is so honest with us. He immediately goes into a story about how difficult it can be to pray. He uses a parable, what we're studying this summer and this fall. He uses a parable, a fictional story to describe a scenario or a situation in which in this particular case, It's difficult to pray. Or maybe you've prayed and that prayer hasn't been answered yet. There's even the possibility that you've prayed and it wasn't answered in a way that you wanted it to be answered. But you find yourself in the conversation because prayer is not a ritual. Prayer is not a tradition. Prayer, Prayer is a conversation with God. But you find yourself in a circumstance where that conversation seems, feels strained, maybe even unanswered. And Jesus uses this story to remind the disciples, to remind those same ones who just asked him, teach us to pray, how to persevere, how to keep praying, how to find help.
So it's in Luke chapter 11, right after Jesus teaches us the Lord's Prayer, that this parable shows up, and I'm going to read it for you in its entirety, including some of Jesus' application. So in verse 5, Luke chapter 11, verse 5, he also said to them, he's just finished telling them, pray like this. And now he says, suppose one of you has a friend, and this is the beginning of that true fiction, this, this fictitious story that carries truth and practical application. Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't and get up and give him anything because of his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, this is Jesus speaking now, the application. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find it. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, what father, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, how much more will the the heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to all who ask him? The interesting part of this prayer is it's about provision. This story describes a situation in which provision is needed. And the answer to that needed provision is to be persistent, to persevere in desiring that help, being able to move and go towards God, have that relationship, have that conversation with them, and acknowledge, I need help, and not give up. And then understand the very character of a loving Heavenly Father, a very, the very character and nature of a loving, giving God who knows how to give, who knows how to provide better than any experience we've ever had in the physical realm here on earth. That's how Jesus reminds them to keep at it, that we can pray, and it may feel difficult, but through that difficulty, we can persevere and see the movement of God, which ultimately brings us to the greatest of all provisions, his presence. The greatest help, the greatest assistant anyone ever experiences is knowing God in a personal way and having him as a part of our lives. We talk about it and we use terminology like I've accepted Christ or I've trusted in Jesus to describe establishing a relationship that stays with us, not just in this life, but in all eternity. And whatever I need It's going to pale in comparison to knowing that in any circumstance I find myself, God is there and he's with me. I'm never abandoned and I'm I'm never alone and he's listening to my prayers. 
But here's the awkwardness. Let's look at the awkwardness for just a second. If we could transport back in time, look at the first century AD, look at the Palestinian area, look at the way the Hebrews had grown up and had been taught and their lifestyle and their culture, we would understand that having a friend show up in the middle of the night is not just simply a bad dream, but one of their worst nightmares. Because they lived in a culture of what I would call almost extreme hospitality. In their culture, and this is the culture of all the Mideast, but it was refined in a very specific fashion for the Jews. In that culture, if a friend showed up in the middle of the night, it was your cultural responsibility to do anything you could to meet that friend's needs. Most households, unlike our households, they weren't storing things in pantries. They weren't storing things in refrigerators. They weren't freezing their venison for the next year. They didn't have those kind of storage capacities. And so you typically, like many urbanites do today, you typically bought and supplied your house only for the immediate need. And so if you've already fed your family that day, there's nothing to prepare, there's nothing to provide your friend who came in the middle of the night to be able to give him a meal. He's been traveling, he's weary, you help him get cleaned up and now you need to, according to custom, provide a meal. According to simple kindness, give him something to eat and you don't have it. You literally don't have it. You don't store it, you can't even keep the grain on more than a couple of days. And so you go to your friend This hospitality now ripples over to a next friend and you go to his house and you say to him, look, you're pounding on the door. Look, I had this guy show up. I wasn't expecting him. He's a friend. I'm obligated to take care of him. I can't feed him. Can I get something from you? Do you have some supplies that you can provide? The friend has already cleaned his house and prepared. These are small houses. These are houses with with typically dirt floors, maybe some straw laid out on the floor. Typically, even if there was an upstairs room that they could recess to and spend time alone or sometimes sleep or do other activities, um, they would typically, because of the coldness of the desert air, have to come back, gather in the kitchen area, and oftentimes families would literally sleep together on that straw and hay that's on the floor next to the fire, next to the cook fire, because it's the only source of heat in the house. And so the knocking and the conversation is literally as Jesus' story describes it. It's going to wake up the entire family. You all understand. Your your kid stayed up. You fed him pizza instead of formula. And now he's been up for hours and he just fell asleep. And that little toddler is laying there peaceful and sound asleep right next to you. Because everybody's right next to you. Even your livestock oftentimes was brought in and is sleeping next to you. If you get up and start rummaging around in your pots and in your jars trying to give provision to this friend who's asking for help, you're going to disturb the whole family. And I'm asking you, parents of preschoolers, do you want to wake up that toddler in the middle of the night? The answer is unequivocally no because there will be no more sleep after that. And so the guy responds back and says, look, you're going to wake up my whole family. I'm not going to provide for you. And then Jesus makes a relatively stern but interesting observation. In this awkward scenario where you need something and you need it in this moment, if you give up at that point, 
You're not going to get it. Because no matter how close you are to that friend, he may not give it to you because you are his friend, but he will give you. And I love the language in the Christian Standard Bible, one of the newer, accurate translations we use in our church. In CSB, it says, he will respond, he will provide because of the shameless boldness. This man is desperate. We're not talking a casual prayer before you eat your dinner. We're not talking a casual prayer that you say before you go to sleep. This man is desperate and his need is desperate and his shameless boldness is going to win the day. Now we understand that, most of us. We've had those moments. We've had those times of disaster. We've, we've had those occasions when our circumstances seemed so bleak that out of desperation, we, so to speak, in light of Jesus' story, harassed God. Now, that's a difficult concept. When I'm not desperate, that's a hard concept for me. It's a hard concept for me to say that there is something real about the persistence of keep over and over and over again bringing that prayer to God. Jesus will tell another parable we may look at later this year of a widow who goes to a court and says she will not get justice other than she will wear the judge out. He will get so tired of her showing up every morning in his court that he will finally grant her the justice she's looking for. When was the last time any one of us harassed God? It feels awkward to even say that. At least it does up here. Maybe when you're sitting there listening to it, I don't know if it has the same impact when you're standing up here semi-embarrassed saying it. It just, something about it seems wrong. I'm gonna harass God. But God desires out of our relationship a persistency that doesn't give up. I'm not gonna casually pray for this need. And then if it doesn't happen, just say, oh, I knew it was gonna be a bad time. I mean, so many of us are just like Eeyore when it comes to, comes to praying. Oh, yeah. I knew God wouldn't hear me. Oh, yeah. I knew I wasn't as important as somebody else. And we, this stuff starts going through our head. And it's counterproductive to what Jesus is telling us. He's saying for every excuse we have for why God might not listen to us, might not want to answer our prayer, he says, just keep asking. Look in the middle of the passage there when Jesus moves from the story into the application. Many of you are familiar with this. It's a popular passage of scripture. You fresh the relationship and now you're going to discover through the resolve. And so Jesus tells us, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. If you've been in church any time at all, somebody has explained to you and you've already heard this in a book or a magazine article or a blog post, but the literal language, the Greek language, which is much more expressive than our English language, literally describes this as a perfect tense moment moving forward and never ceasing. You could literally translate this, ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and continue to knock. It is the essence of what Jesus is saying in terms of persistency and resolve over the issue. 
We just keep at it. So I prayed once and God didn't respond the way I anticipated or the way I wanted. I prayed twice, God didn't respond and I didn't anticipate. And so at that point, I give up. According to Jesus, there is no give up moment. We ask and we keep asking. I love the way he says seek and keep seeking because sometimes when I'm persistent in my prayer life, I begin to learn things about myself or I begin to learn things about God that need modification. It may very well be that I am not getting what I'm asking for because what I'm asking for isn't what is the healthiest or best for me. But God watches that and helps me learn in that process. I keep knocking only to find out that maybe I was pursuing the wrong door in the first place. But he'll guide me. He's answering my prayer even while I'm being persistent, even while I'm pushing forward, even while I'm resolved, and I may end up in a completely different place. But the reason I ended up in that different place was because I didn't stop. I never gave up. I kept driving, and I kept pushing, and I kept pressing looking for and seeking that answer. And I'm not using any specific illustrations on purpose because this could be any number of things. I was reminded this past week, I'll use one illustration. Um, When I was a young man, so this was a while back, not that long ago, but a while back, God impressed it on my heart to pray for somebody. And for whatever reason, throughout all of these years, I have been praying over and over that that person would find out who Jesus is and experience the life change that only Jesus offered. I would occasionally be reminded because this person is in the news frequently and it's a very public figure that's recognizable and, and anyone can see and anyone can participate and, and know who this person is and, and you don't need to know who the person is but I've been praying, this is in a, you know, kind of in a sense a secret thing God laid on my heart and I'm talking decades now since I became a Christian and I started praying that they would become a Christian and that their influence would magnify and use the kingdom of God. And I was reminded just last week. And as, as I was reminded, I thought, you know, I'm not going to pray anymore for them. This is a waste of time. I spent two and a half decades or more praying for this person and, and they're further away. Their life evidence is in even further removal from God and the things of God than I've ever mentioned. And then I thought to myself, actually, I didn't really think about it. That's why we want the Holy Spirit helping us in this process. That's why we want the Holy Spirit instead of snakes or scorpions. Or, you know, that's why we want God to give us the Holy Spirit. Because he reminded me, you're going to stand up and tell everybody, don't give up. Is 20 years too long? Is 25 years? How much is too long to keep praying until you get an answer? And I had to come to the conclusion based on Jesus' instruction in these two verses in Luke 11, verse 9 and 10, based on these instructions, there is no time frame that is too long. The prayer hasn't been answered, the life hasn't been changed, and I'm not giving up. I will keep praying. I have no relationship with this individual, so it's not like I can interact with them or talk to them or speak to them or share the, the, the hope of our faith with them, but God told me to pray, and he hasn't told me to stop praying. But how many times over my life has he told me to pray, 
And I get a little ways into the process and think, this just isn't all that fun. I'm not enjoying this conversation. And I stop, and I stop praying. Jesus is telling us simply, don't stop. And particularly when we're needing help, don't stop. Then there's one last phase. For me, it was shifting where my confidences are. Shifting what I'm confident in. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? I never, I'll never forget, and I've shared it multiple times with our congregation over the years, the very first time this became real. Carrie and I had just been married. We were newlyweds. We were planting a church and starting that church with absolutely no resources. The only thing we had was energy. Um, there was no financial backing, no, nothing that, was, which, that should have been in place to, to start and plant that church. And, and we were doing it, and, and we were in need. We were newlyweds, and we were in need. And I was sitting um, in my office, which was part of our kitchen in that first house, and, and, uh, and I was preparing to make a phone call to someone I didn't want to call, but I trusted. And it was my dad. I was going to call my dad and tell him, hey, we're, we're really in bad shape. We need some help. As I did, God brought to mind this verse. And I was literally reaching for the phone. And I stopped and said, you know, I have all the confidence in the world. If I pick up this phone and I make this phone call, it'll connect. I will talk to him and I know my dad well enough. He'll respond. Whether he thinks it's right or wrong, he, he loves me and that's the one area of his life he really likes to show his love. I knew beyond any shadow of a doubt, which is why he was the first person I thought to call. God knew he would respond. When I felt in my heart, God say, James, can you trust me as much as you trust your dad? Who at that time was an unbeliever. So the irony is I'm trusting somebody who doesn't even believe in God more than I'm trusting God. I withdrew my hand. I went back to Bible study, went back to sermon preparation, got a phone call from a college friend who was back in town, asked to go to lunch, went to lunch, and they slid across the table. This doesn't happen every day, which is why I'm going so far back in time. I don't see this every day, but the principle of it holds true every day. Slid an envelope across the table, handed it to me, said, as I was praying this morning, I felt the Holy Spirit, that's the presence of God in us, I felt the Holy Spirit say, help James and Carrie. And it was the exact amount I was gonna call my dad for. Does that happen every time? Is it happening right now in the middle of the inflation and the, the potential for a recession? No, not always. But Jesus said, look, you already trust all of these human resources. You trust your dad. You trust yourself as a parent, as a father, to give when your child needs it and to help when your child needs it. And then he, he poignantly says in verse 13, if we who are by nature evil are willing to give good gifts to our children, how much more will the heavenly father give his Holy Spirit, give his presence, give his help to us? We have to change where our confidences are. 
I can call the bank tomorrow morning and I can make a loan for any amount of money I want. But is that what God wants me to do? Probably not. The question is, can I as easily as I trust the things of this world to provide, put my trust, put my faith, put my confidence in a heavenly father who has loved me more than any other human being or institutional resource imaginable. God loves me more than the insurance company does when I'm facing financial difficulties in medical circumstance. God loves me more than the bank does when I'm facing financial circumstances and difficulties, unemployment, or any number of things. God loves me more. This is not a popular statement today. God loves me more than a socialistic federal government that would love to be the sole provider in my life and will never be because God loves me more and I trust him more. Who are we going to turn to for resource this week before we trust in our Heavenly Father? We'll have to make the decision. We're going to have to make all these decisions. Will I keep asking? Will I keep seeking? Will I keep knocking? And will I trust that when God hears my prayer, he'll do it exceedingly and beyond my expectations and my other confidences. My experience has been that God will never let us down, ever. Even as I said earlier in the message, when he didn't answer the way I wanted him to, he had something else already in mind, already in store. Just keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking. Let's worship together again. Let's sing to a God who loves us that much that he wants to take care of us. He wants to provide for us. And we have have those needs all over the place. We have financial needs. We have have social needs. We we have, have issues that we're dealing with. We have sins that need to be taken care of and turned over to God so that he can forgive us. We have so many needs. And we walked in here with so many needs. Let's hand him over. Let's just give him. Our needs are real, just like the man in this story, his needs were real. But where I tend to forget sometimes and where I tend to not carry through is I understand that man's needs were just as real in this story as my needs are. But I tend to forget that it's just as real to keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. And it's just as real that my heavenly father, my God, my friend, by his own definition, he knows exactly what I need and he's gonna take care of it. Because first and foremost, he loves me.